Hello and welcome back to Control-Alt-Delete. My guest today is Poppy Jamie. She's an entrepreneur, author and presenter. She's a leading voice in the mental well-being and mindfulness space. And she's on a mission to democratise conversation and provide accessible tools for emotional and mental health. She is the founder of the award-winning Happy Not Perfect app. She hosts the chart-topping Not Perfect podcast. And she is now the author of the new book that's out now called Happy Not Perfect, Upgrade Your Mind, Challenge Your Thoughts and Free Yourself from Anxiety. The Happy Not Perfect brand was created to help the stress and anxiety levels of young people. And with her mum being a neurotherapist, Poppy decided something needed to be created to help everyone manage their mental well-being better. She also has other strings to her bow, including having co-founded the accessories line Pop and Suki with her best friend Suki Waterhouse. And she's always got lots on the go. But today we're going to talk about her new book, all about challenging our thoughts and freeing ourselves from the stress in our minds. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation. I really enjoyed talking to Poppy. And here it is. I haven't done a podcast in person for six months. So this is so exciting. We're looking at each other. It's so strange and so nice. Just walking down those streets of Soho to get to this podcast. It was like, yes, finally here. So true. Literally euphoric to be doing it in person again. So this is exciting. And also what's so exciting is your new book. I have to tell you on the podcast, because I just said it to you off the mics, that it's so brilliant. It's called Happy Not Perfect honestly a book I could have done with about five years ago when I was giving myself such a hard time in my own head when in my 20s and I think it's going to help a lot of people so huge congrats. Gosh thank you so much I've never been so nervous about anything ever coming out um, and I think it's because it's the most personal thing I've ever done and so it feels like <laughs> it feels like I'm I'm basically walking around naked for the, for the rest of time with this book. Well, it's such a good sign that you feel like that. And I know that feeling of vulnerability before something comes out, but it's a really good sign, trust me, because we get to, you know, you're peeling back the layers, you do it on your podcast and on your Instagram and everywhere else, but not to this extent. I felt like you'd gone there even more in this book and I'm really glad you did. But I wanted to start off with mentioning the foreword because it's by Dr. James R. Doty, who I know you really respect and he's amazing. But he sort of says in the intro that from the outside looking in, you do look like someone who has quote unquote made it. You have a fabulous life. You've done amazing things. You've been on stage at Harvard conferences. You've flown around the world. You've had millions of people look at you on Snapchat, like to a younger person maybe as well. You're sort of the epitome of happy, successful person. But what he's saying is, you know, strap yourself in for this book because you're going to say it's not always like that. Trust me. Could you give us an example of a time in your life where it just wasn't matching up? Oh my God, absolutely. And also every single day. And I think that we have created a world which focuses so much on projection of the personal brand, you know, whether you're you know, how, despite what your job is, even my mum thinks about her Instagram feed, you know, whether the, the nature photograph matched with the other nature photograph or whatever she's, you know, posting. So it's, you know, just even just from last week, I think that I have these moments and at least I now have the tools to realise that it's okay to have 
so much self-doubt and and when we're in these uncertain moments I guess you know I'm having loads of questions right now in terms of you know I you know I built this app and I'm thinking about what what's next for me and when we're in when we don't exactly know the answers like in that gap I think so much self-critique can take over and you know on Instagram it looks like everything is wonderful, but underneath you, doesn't matter where you are, like comparison is ev- is everywhere. And, and so for me, it's a, it's a daily and, and, and as I said, I, I'm thankful for having the tools to manage it better. You know, everything with the mind, it's not like a game you complete. It's not like suddenly, you know, you've done a meditation or you've you've uh, had that one therapy session and you're good forever it's something that is manageable and in my a levels i was a complete workaholic i from the age of 12 and in the book i talk about perfectionism and workaholism and something we don't really talk about much is the idea that we all get addicted we can get addicted to work and for me you know we often think addiction oh drugs alcohol but actually my coping strategy for feeling really insecure is often well i'm just going to work really 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 hard and when i'm successful i'm not going to be insecure anymore and so i'd worked i mean 16 hour days for these exams to make sure i got the perfect grades to go to the perfect university and and i was going to ensure that i was going to create a, you know financial safety for myself and um, my, I, I got disqualified. I didn't realize I had my phone on me and it went off. My entire life shattered because I walked out the exam and this man comes up to me and says, you've just been disqualified. So it meant that I left with only two A-levels and you're talking to a girl who gave up her life to make sure that she got these exams. And it was this summer of everyone celebrating because they're all, yeah, their future was starting and mine wasn't. And I think this happens. So it's in many different elements in our life, whether, you know, we have a disappointment, we don't get the job we wanted, or we something unexpected happens like a breakup or so many different examples. And suddenly our future is put into question. And I felt like a complete failure. I was terrified of the future. My mind is like, it's your fault. You're useless. You know, you're insignificant. You're irrelevant. Like all of these horrible thoughts. And it just goes back to our, you know, three basic needs. Like we all want want to feel like we're enough we all want to feel loved we want to feel accepted and when you know when things like total setbacks happen it challenges all three I found these my diaries from when I was 11 12 13 I read them and it just made me burst into tears because we absorb as 12 year olds as eight year olds we are learning how to understand life learning how to understand ourselves within our life and how we relate to our life and so we try we create a rule book because the brain is wired to predict and protect the whole time so it likes to create certainty you know maybe you learn behavior or beliefs from your parents it doesn't have to be it could be early environments and so for me you're reading these diary entries some boy david thompson you know like dumps me after three days you know a boyfriend at 12 years old you don't even talk to them you kind of have this like invisible going out or whatever and the effect that had on me was i understood i made that to mean i wasn't enough i'm unattractive i'll always be unattractive and i've got to try really really hard for anyone to like me and it gave me this terrifying fear of rejection so 
that happened. And then I, I had a hypnotherapy session, you know, gosh, like kind of 15 years later, really about my fear of rejection because I'd gone through basically 10 years of not being in a relationship. And um, we're doing this hypnotherapy and it goes right back to this, to me at seven being rejected because I just wanted to give a boy a hug or something. And they were like, no, I hate girls or whatever. But something so innocent. And we're talking about a super, super micro trauma. You know, they're not big T's, they're tiny moments, but yet they leave their imprints. I really wanted to show to readers in the book that we need to challenge our core beliefs every single day because they will rule our life, our past influences, how we construct the present, and then uh, influences our decisions, which then create our future. So if we want to break the patterns that we're in, we've got to look at what's forming the hat patterns in the first place. And actually, if you have you know, kept a diary, I know it's quite unusual, some people haven't, you'll see these early beliefs starting to form, like my, you know, hate for how I looked. And that's why right now I think we're in this consciousness, like wake up, we're all going, oh my God, are these my beliefs or did I learn them? God, that's so interesting. And there's a bit in the book, and I'm paraphrasing, it might be a quote, but about how we we can't know how to fix something if we don't understand what it even is. And it really reminded me of this like weird tip for overcoming imposter syndrome, which was like, do the power pose, like the superwoman pose, where it was like, you'll feel confident after you do it. And I'm like, okay, it might work for like two seconds. But this, like, we, we live in this like culture of like five steps and you'll be fine. I think what your book is doing is saying, actually, sometimes we have to go really deep and it's going to be maybe a bit painful. But once we discover what's going on, we can then look at it and maybe move forward. There's nothing necessarily to fix, but I feel like what you do is you fix your own life in many ways by what you learn and then you apply it. Absolutely. I really, truly think the root to change is education. And for me, when I had so many, like when I had my kind of, I would say official breakdown where I had chronic exhaustion, I'd gone to hospital, I was bloated, I wasn't able to really walk or work for weeks, if not months. It was in that moment I was like, I need to understand how my brain works in order for me to understand what is going on here because our brains and our bodies are perfect. Like the human is incredible. You know, we create humans. We, 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 our immune system is amazing. We get sick and all our cells work together and make us better again. And I think sometimes we often kind of like criticize, you know, the way our mind works and it's our brain is only trying to do its best. Um, and suddenly when we have a kind of, kind of view towards it and say, okay, I know you're trying to do your best, but actually this is causing me great anxiety and it's really, really uncomfortable. How can I learn about my physiology and neurology to understand the steps that are going to help me? And when my path to learning and, and I owe just so much to these teachers that came into my life and, you know, I may not even have met them. They were just kind of authors that I read their books and I was like, oh, you have those aha moments. And the thing is, is that there's, you know, one size does not fit all. So what helped what helps me may not help you. And this is why I encourage everyone to go on their own mental health exploration to go and like learn about how their brain works and what clicks because you can hear the same thing about how your mind works but somebody says it in a way you go oh my god and when we don't know ourselves I think we're then really susceptible to living life according to how others want us to live it or living life according to how we should do it and 
it's really easy to be caught off guard because if we're not taking time to know ourselves, to really tap in and go, does this actually make me happy? You know, we tie ourselves in knots and then we have to at some point unravel ourselves. And that's what I love about almost the modern self-help author. And maybe this has always been the case, but they haven't admitted it, is that we haven't, like, if you're a self-help author, you're still going through it. Yeah. And I think there's this myth that if you write a book on something, you're just fine and you're absolutely done and fixed. And we're like both <laughs> laughing because, you know, I remember when I wrote The Multi-Hyphen Method, which is a blueprint for how I believe we can work better. And yes, I do feel like I follow my own advice in it, but sometimes I'm really not. And sometimes I feel like that brings on the imposter syndrome. But I think what's so nice about your work is you openly admit, and it's the title of your book, that this is ongoing. You're never trying to be perfect and we never are. Totally. And one, I, there, was a, there was a moment that I actually thought my imposter thoughts actually wanted me to like turn down the book deal. I need to wait until I'm older to be able to write a book. And then I thought, well, actually, you're going to forget what it was like to go through your 20s and be so bruised because, you know, every time, every period in your life, you go through different challenges. I saw you post this on Instagram just a few days ago, this idea of a book is a moment in time about where you are. And Emma has been so kind to me because I've been like, you know, kind of quite nervous about this book. And I, you know, WhatsApp, uh, voice note to her. And I was walking, I was walking along the road. I was like, Emma, I'm so sorry, but I'm just a bit nervous about this book. What are your thoughts? And, uh, and you were so wise and you made me feel so much better. And you were like, Poppy, a book is a moment in time. It's not a thesis forever. And what helped you now may not be what helps you in 10 years time or 20 years time. And I think this, it relates to my point of like, you know, your happiness is not a game you complete and you're suddenly happy forever. Like, you know, physical health is, I wish you could go on one run and like never have to think about that again. But it's not, we're just, we're constant works in progress. And that's the, you know, fallacy and myth of perfection that, we think that we can even reach it. My last point on perfection is we've, I think, honoured perfection in society in a way. We're like, we kind of use it as, oh, I'm a bit of a perfectionist. Like, oh, and actually, what does that really mean? We're hyper self-critical and we just tell ourselves that we're not enough and our work is not enough and, you know, self-flagellate until we reach this pot of gold at the end of the rainbow that we never quite get there. So true. And also what you just said about you know, maybe the imposter syndrome taking over sometimes. I hear you on that. This perfectionism or imposter syndrome like robs people of the work that like we need this book. And if you if that had driven you to not do it now, it's such a shame. I feel like we'll always miss out on these creative things because of it. And that's why it's so important to get to get rid of it. But I, I wondered I, before we move on to the flex, I wanted to bring something up that I've been thinking about, which is as I get into my 30s, I feel like I'm exhausted by those thoughts now. So if I go around in circles being like, you're not good enough, blah, blah, blah. I almost like, I'm like, I'm like tired of it. And I almost feel like I don't have time for the bullshit anymore in my own brain. And I yeah. almost, I'm just like, no, I'm going to go and have a nap. Like, shh. <laughs> so I can't be bothered. Yeah, it's so true. You just kind of get exhausted. And also you realise that it, you're not, you're not fun. You know, you're like, you're so unfun for yourself. And, um, you know, if you have a fun teammate, like, anything even the worst situations in life you can kind of have a bit of sense of humor about and so I think kind of 
when I'm in those cycles of like, oh, I'm not good enough, I do think to myself, Poppy, get a sense of humor a little bit and like, you know, come on, laugh at yourself. And I, I probably am lucky that I um, have a family that, <laughs> that, that, that's kind of our, our mechanism for, you know, kind of dealing with hard, hard things is to try and make a laugh about it. And, uh, but yeah, you're right. You do get really, really tired. And I think it's led me to being probably quite spiritual in a way, because if we think we can control everything in life, then we are going to cause ourselves like so much additional pain. And I think I'm sure everybody in their life has an example where something has gone wrong and actually it turned out to be the best thing ever. And I think those moments to me are evidence for ah, just surrender, Poppy. Just let go. What will be, will be. And that quote, you know, what is meant for you will not pass you by. And that's kind of when I get exhausted about my like, oh, you're not good enough. Could have been better. Could have been better. I just have to go. I give up. I don't control my life. Yes. Oh, surrender's what I was looking for, that word. Yes. It's almost like the sit back and enjoy the ride. It's very hard to do, but I feel I get that from a lot of the things I read as well. It's just kind of try and let go a little bit more. But I really want to move on to asking you about the flex. You have written some amazing articles recently that I've read about flexible thinking. And it's so interesting. And it's like, we're talking about flexible working. We're talking about flexible gender and we're, we're like living hopefully in a more flexible world. But flexible thinking is so interesting. And this idea of like being bendy and it reminds me of like yoga for your mind. You're just kind of open-minded and it's like one of my favorite ideas. So will you talk more about it and why you wanted to include it in the book? Yes. So when I was looking at this book and going, okay, what things have completely changed my life and the changed the way I approach the world, my mindset, my outlook. And it suddenly occurred to me, it was the difference between being a stiff thinker and a flexible thinker. And what I mean by being a stiff thinker, we are all naturally, our default setting is to be a stiff thinker. And that's uh, because we have a 80% negative bias. And that's because our brain, as I said, we're kind of danger detection systems, always using our past to see if we can allocate any danger to keep us safe. But obviously that makes us really prone to being negative. We have confirmation bias, which means that we are always trying to confirm what we believe. So if our early beliefs have told us that we're not enough, we're then going to, you know, take that moment when someone hasn't called us back to mean she doesn't care about me, she doesn't like me, I'm not enough. Actually, we've put meaning on something that was meaningless. And as Shakespeare said, there is nothing good or bad, just thinking makes it so. And so our confirmation bias also keeps us very stiff. This idea that, you know, we can't tolerate um, someone who doesn't believe exactly what we believe. I'm right, you're wrong. And it also, it, it lacks any critical thinking because we jump to conclusions, we jump to assumptions, and it keeps us locked in these cages. Flexible thinking, on the other hand, is the ability to challenge your perspective, is the ability to feel, but also bend with the wind. Because I think often when it comes to like, if we're trying to change the way we feel, we can then maybe jump to toxic positivity, which is like, I can't feel bad. I can't feel bad. It's good. Everything's good. I'm great. It's amazing. I'm trying to manifest. like, And it, it's so deeply inauthentic because we are unrecognizing, we're not honoring how we feel. It's okay to feel a bit you know, sad or blue, like criticism, insecure, shame, regret. It's all it's okay. But when we can embrace that, and that's uh, why I lay out in the flex method to help us become more flexible thinkers, the step one being connection. How do we stay connected to our true self, feel 
all the emotions that, you know, the, the wonderful kind of human experience has given us. But yet say, when something's happened, I'm going to pause. I'm not going to react because when we react, we're in the fight and flight mode. And that's when we say things that we may not mean. We make decisions that are based on the past rather than making decisions in attempt to design our future. Being flexible, you're able to say, I'm going to wait for more information. And I'm also going to pause to make a, to make a choice. Is my next action compassionate? And is my next action in honor of my growth going forward? And it just makes the world this incredibly amazing place. I love that. And as you know, I have discovered Byron Katie, who you mentioned in the book and you very give a little shout out to um, the work, which is, is what she offers up to people. And that has actually changed my life. And it's a weird moment where your brain, I like almost felt it shift in my head. <laughs> I was like, oh, right. There's another side to this. And it's incredibly powerful. And I'd written down this example, even you mentioned about this culture of more, more, more. I need more. I need more. And then flexibly thinking the opposite, which is I'm enough. And then your whole body relaxes and needing more feels wrong and saying I'm enough feels good. Right. And I also think it's flexible thinking is about honoring our most authentic, truest. I use the word in the book, wildest self. And what I mean by like wildest, I think, you know, animals are just fully expressed. They are them. And when we're thinking flexibly, I think it allows us to go back to what makes us unique, special individuals. And I generally don't think our world encourages us just to be in our full expression. It's like it wants us to mold into a contortion. And uh, Byron Katie, she is incredible. And just for every anyone who doesn't know her work, she has these four questions that you can ask in moments of doubt. And, and her whole belief, which I wholeheartedly subscribe to, is that suffering, the root of suffering lies in our thoughts. So this led me to really explore this idea of thought health. We have toxic thoughts that cause stress, our cortisol to rise, it inflames our system. And then we have like thoughts that I'm enough, like suddenly it's like, it's like relaxation for, you know, our, our immune system as well as our mind. And obviously they're all connected. And, and so the four questions are, is this true? And so let's use an example of, oh God, everyone's going to hate me who's listening to this podcast. Like, is this true? Well, yes, I think it is true. Everyone's going to hate me. Well, can you be 100% sure this is true? I'm like, well, I guess I guess can't be 100% sure because I obviously can't look into everybody's minds. Um, how does this thought make me feel? Well, really insecure, like unworthy, like I don't want to do anything, probably wants to send me like back to bed and hide in a dark room for a few days. Who do you be without this thought? Free, free, free myself. Mm -hmm. There is a YouTube link of her doing this in prison, uh, pri prisons and people's, you can see the cogs in their minds changing and it could have literally the power to change someone from being in the deepest suffering to literally being free. But on the flexible thinking route, and maybe this is a whole other podcast, maybe we can't even unpick it today, but in terms of 
thoughts. I get it. But in terms of, you know, being flexible about things that actually are like not really something to be flexible about. For example, if someone listening is like, well, I'm not going to have flexible thinking about whether inequality is good or bad, that sort of thing. How does that work? Is it more just that we have the thoughts we believe and then it's actually only the thoughts that make us feel bad we need to question? Yeah, absolutely. And I have this chapter in the book called Flex Culture and, you know, this idea of forgiveness, which I don't think we celebrate or use or talk about enough, especially in response to cancel culture. But of course, the argu- there's an argument there that there's people who've been cancelled that really should have been cancelled. You know, they were abusive, they, and all the rest. And this is where nuance comes in. And some think we don't, I think nuance is hopefully something we address more within everything. I think because the brain wants to simplify everything so quickly, we always like to put everything in boxes. And by doing that, we miss out on this nuance. And that's, you know, a fantastic question of nuance. Of course, if something is wrong, and actually I I talk about the idea of inequality being something actually as a result of stiff thinking. Inequality is, you know, we learn fears. Do babies come into this world and judge other babies? They don't. Like babies come into this world loving everything. They come in with full confidence. And this is what Marissa Peer talks about, who's a hemotherapist. But, you know, she said, look at a baby. They don't say, oh, don't look at me. I'm dancing. I look weird. They don't. They're just their most full express being. And they love everything and everyone. We learn prejudice and, and it's the start of inequality. So if we, what flexible thinking, I think, says is we can unlearn all prejudice and fear. And I think in the last year, thank God, we're beginning to unlearn a lot of prejudice and fear. Summed it up very, very well. Thank you. And you talk about flexi mentors. What did you mean by that? Uh, I'm obsessed with mentors and you don't even need to like, personally know your mentors. But flexi mentors are are people who stretch your thinking and they can be from all walks of life. So for example, even my mother is actually one of my flexi mentors, but also actually Charlotte Tilbury is one of my flexi mentors because I look at her and she is, in my eyes, she obviously has built the most unbelievable business, but she is so her. She's unapologetically her. She walks in to a room and her energy is just pow like this. So when I'm having kind of social anxiety, I think to myself, well, how would Charlotte feel right now? What would Charlotte do in this situation? And what I love about these questions is actually it activates the computer side of our brain because when we are in, you know, feeling anxious or feeling fearful, our emotional center is overreacting. It's kind of that amygdala is going whirring round and round and round and we can't tap into wisdom because, you know, our, as I said, our emotional centers that are overstimulated. When we ask questions like, oh, the compassionate question, like what would I advise a friend experiencing what I am now? Or you, you think about your flexi mentors, some, somebody who's maybe somewhere where you would love to be or has qualities you would love to uh, develop. You can think, well, what would she do? 
you then have this access to your wisdom. You have access to their wisdom. And that's why the last step of the flex is commitment. We can only really change when we have new new data for ourselves. When we say, oh, and I'm really, oh, oh my God, I really don't want to go to that party. Oh, it's going to be so awkward. I just don't want to go. And we don't go. We confirm to ourselves that that fear was right. When we can kind of move into our fear and use tools like what would my Flexi Mentor do right now, And it's amazing because then you go to an environment potentially that you wouldn't have wanted to be in. You use these tools. You then receive new data where you're like, actually, that wasn't so bad. I actually quite enjoyed it. Oh, God, I kind of learned something about myself. And suddenly you've reduced that fear forevermore because you've actually committed to action, created new data, and then created new like mind wirings. And isn't that such a great way and a flexible way of looking at comparison? Because what you could have said is, oh my God, I wish I was like Charlotte Tilbury. And that could have opened up a whole like negative side of it. Yes. And this is why I actually, it sounds an odd feeling. I quite like jealousy at times because again, like jealousy is, is, is just an emotion and all our emotions contain so much information. So we just have to ask better questions. So we're like, ooh, what do deep down I really like about what that person's doing? And to be honest, wish I had a bit more of myself. And isn't it sometimes very sneaky? Because it's sometimes, I I notice this with, with a particular person who I find myself quite jealous of. And what's interesting is it's not the shiny outer layer that I'm jealous of. It's actually a very specific thing. I think how she handles her time or like how she has really good boundaries. Like That's what I'm jealous of. And I'm like, that's interesting. So use that information. <laughs> right. And that, and you know, and it's sometimes this is not like easy. Sometimes this is like weeks and months, but it is, it's just, it's finding, I find it, everything is like little keys to unlock something. And, um, and it's amazing how, think about who you might have been jealous of when you were little. And in the book, I'm like, you know, I was such a mediocre child. Like I just had nothing special. You know, everybody had their super skill and I just had like zero super skills. And it would be like, you know, Lauren with her beautiful ponytail, you know, like, and I just wished I had that beautiful ponytail. But at different times in life, different people are going to cause us to feel like, I don't know the word triggered, to feel it's overused, but like, you know, feel a bit jealous. When you say we can rewire our brains, have you got any examples of how you have felt that in your life that you you have actually kind of started, your brain has started to change from all this work you're doing? Absolutely. Absolutely. My biggest example is being less reactive. So I would receive an email for example, and this was like early days of setting up the companies. And I felt there was so much riding riding on it. I felt so pressurized at work. And then if I received an email, I write this example in the book, I remember like receiving this email and I felt it was quite like critical of me and they, they'd copied in, you know, investors and like people obviously did not want to look bad in front of. And I just, rather than going through the flex, pausing, connecting to how I was feeling, getting curious, choosing to be compassionate and then committing to like acting on, you know, values I care about. I'm like, I'm like typing back like capital letters. And, um, uh, and this God, I remember this happened at like Pop and Suki one time when we did our first ever shoot and I thought the shoot was really bad. And rather than delivering this feedback and like, you know, a constructive way, like, oh, what do you think you do here? I'm like, 
getting so worried this was going to go out in a few days and we, it was going to ruin everything. I'm like, it's terror. I mean, it was just so reactive and it was, I was react, reacting out of fear. And, uh, and what has changed considerably in the last like six years from doing all of this work is an email or anything or even a comment that triggers me. I will pause and I will connect and I will go through exactly why the email has like, you know, changed my emotional state in some way and really think through. And, you know, I read a quote from Ray Dalio that says, you know, the quality of our life is based on the quality of our decisions. And when we're able to slow down our decision-making, it totally changes our life because that's when we start repeating the past and live out Einstein's definition of insanity, doing the same thing, expecting a different result. And, you know, even just like yesterday, I received this email and I was kind of a bit annoyed by it. And, you know, I was walking along and, usually, you know, again, like, you know, pre-flex life, I'd be like firing an email back on my phone. And I'm like, you know what, Poppy, just wait until you get home and you can read it through and like that's so simple and anyone's listening is like oh my god you sound like a maniac (laughs) but it's it's you know it was just kind of like reactive talking back even in like heated discussions or whatever and so yeah so that has definitely like considerably changed and then I feel so proud and that's why I say in the book you've got to celebrate when you've rewired because the brain creates you know it's about changing your thought habits and you've got to celebrate when you have seen a slight change in your behavior because then your brain goes oh oh do you like it do you like was that good was that good it's like you know you've got to give yourself a tap on the tap on the back because then you'll want to do it again and again and again so we've got to celebrate so when I do pause I'm like yes well done Poppy (laughs) well done no that's a really good example really good example and I mean for anyone that's read Sabotage I used to do things very impulsively too and (laughs) it's a great feeling to feel like you've grown um and our brain yeah is on our side like you say like it wants to grow with us so that's really good example thank you so my last question is slightly random maybe but something that I really love about you is um how you dance for your brain I have had these thoughts during lockdown and I don't know whether it's because I don't go to clubs that I don't really miss like dancing but I've been like wanting to move more I've been listening to music more oh totally I always say you can't think your way out of a problem you've got to move your way and so when we are like you know at our laptops and like stuck in a thought hole it's pretty much impossible. And there's like that brilliant Einstein quote, you know, the same uh, consciousness of, I've totally butchered that quote. <laughs> basically, you need to change your thinking. The same thinking that created the problem can't create the solution, basically. So what does he really mean by that? That we need a new energy to attack our life. And so for me, using the body to charge the mind, upgrade the connection with ourselves is such an amazing tool. And when you dance even it's just for five minutes and you put your best golden song on and you dance completely expressed as if no one's watching and I'm a useless dancer I do look like a chicken I just don't care because it makes me feel so good and you know they say our issues in our tissues like we store so much energy in our body and we live such sedentary lives whereas go back go back to prehistoric times we were always moving the human you know, the human body loves to move. Mm. And um, 
and and since I've incorporated more, I used to do like 20 minutes of walking every single morning. Um, and I'll do kind of like 20 minutes of walking and a little dance. And it, I feel like a completely different person because I've upgraded my energy. Uh, and as a consequence, you know, I'm just, I've got so much more mind clarity. I dance away like my, any feelings of anxiety or stress. You're then so much more contagious for other people to feel better. And it's so fun. It's like you're probably as well moving your body in a way that you would if you were in the gym or something, which is a little bit more sterile, but actually so simple, isn't it? It's a simple way to feel good and just feel good about yourself. And I've really got into it thanks to you. So, And also unstructured. I think so much of our life is structured. And I think like actually, you know, again, I always think like prehistoric times, like we'd be crawling, we'd be kind of moving our body in so many different shapes. And even like sometimes the gym can feel like, running you know it's all these like moves that we kind of and it feels like punishment whereas dancing is freeing and it's interesting looping back to the childhood thing whenever I watch Instagram stories of my friends kids they're all just dancing around the living room because they want to and just seeing that reminds me that we we shouldn't outgrow some of those fun things Yes, I couldn't agree more. I honestly think like the goal of life is for us just to become more childlike and, you know, imagination, creativity, like dancing, uh, you know, being like judgmentless, like all of these qualities are what we see in children. And if we adopted that in ourselves, I think we would have so much more joy. So true. So true. And we were all fully formed back then anyway. Yeah. Like we were all doing the things we probably like doing now back then. Yeah. So yes, we put the world to rights in this episode. (laughs) Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for this book. Genuinely, you should feel really proud of it. Oh, Emma, I really appreciate you saying that because you are my queen author. You're a flexi mentor. I'm like, what would Emma do? (laughs) So um, it means the world from, you know, hearing that from you. 